0: Here we go. We're running it back for the 15th time. It's episode 15 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition with your boys Joe Seralo, yours truly, and then my man McKenzie Rivers. McKenzie, we have all-star rosters fully rounded out. That's 24 players, 12 from each conference, and I think we've got to start with some snubs because I know that when I see all-star rosters, I don't care who makes it. The first thing I like to see is who didn't make it. Who can I complain about? So, McKenzie, how you doing, my man? And what's your biggest complaint with this year's all-star lineup?
1: Doing swell. 100% agreement with you. It is about who didn't make it. We always look for that controversy. Maybe 95% agreement with you because, first, I would be remiss if I was on R.J. Bell's Dream Preview Airwaves and didn't mention... That for the very first time, John Morant is an All-Star, Andrew Wiggins, All-Star, Darius Garland, All-Star, and Steve Fezzik's once loved, once-lost love affair of Fred Van Vliet of the Toronto Raptors is making the All-Star team. If you don't know, long ago, in the early days of the Dream Preview during the NBA season, See Fezzik comes in before the NBA playoffs and he says, "The Raptors, you know, this is the year they ended up winning the championship. The Raptors, it's uh, it's kind of sneaky, but ever since they got this uh, Fred Van Vliet guy really excelling for them, they've taken off. This guy's worth like two points to the line." R.J. Bell, the great R.J. Bell's a discerning man. He says, "What, <laughs> Fred Van, <laughs> who?" what did you sneeze sir and it was it was he was laughed out of the room Steve Fezzik was by pregame alum Brad Powers and RJ Bell at the time it just didn't make any sense this guy that no one ever heard of that's not even the sixth man on the Raptors is somehow worth two points to the line and they're all of a sudden going to be so much better because he's healthy well Fred Van Vliet shoots like one for 40 to start those playoffs very very terrible and Fezzik is asked is brought to task about this love affair. How can you love a guy that's one for 40 in the playoffs? And he says, I hate him. He's the worst. I don't know what I was thinking. This guy's worth nothing to the line. I I renounce Fred VanVleet. Fred VanVleet, I think, scored 35 points in the clinching final game, finals game, two weeks later. He suddenly turned everything around. and It actually made sense why his, uh, his wife was pregnant and they had their child and Uh, Big stress was relieved from the household, and he shot like 60%. He was an all-star level player throughout the rest of the 2019 NBA Finals. And Steve Fezzik profited none in the proc market or betting on the Raptors because he had already come on these airwaves and renounced the great Fred Van Vliet. So lesson learned, sometimes you got to stick with it. Like the NASDAQ, even when it's tough, you got to stick with it. And (laughs) Fred Van Vliet is an all-star, well-deserved I said it in 2019 and I said it in 2021. One of the top 10 point guards in this league, better than Kyle Lowry, who he was understudy for, for probably too long, but well deserved. So before we get into the All Star stubs, I wanted to say congrats, Fred Van Vliet. Maybe one day you'll even impress the great Steve Fezzik.
0: Yeah, Van Vliet's having an incredible season. And look, not only is this guy a certified stud, like you said, yes, at this point in his career, more productive, better than Kyle Lowry, but. And not only is he likable as hell, he's also a workhorse. And I think that's what he really deserves some credit for. And I think that this all-star selection is partially recognizing not just his talent and productivity, but also the fact that this guy leads the NBA, McKenzie, in minutes per game. He is out there. I mean, he played, in fact, the entire Raptors starting lineup the other night in one of their overtime victories, played over 50 minutes. First time in NBA history, an entire starting five had registered over 50 minutes. The guy has a motor that just doesn't quit. And it's not like he's a kid, right? I mean, the guy has been around for a while. I know he came on the scene in 2019, but he's got some years under his belt. He is late 20s. It's not some 22-year-old. It's not John Morant leading the league in minutes, right? Van Fleet has a motor that just doesn't quit. And he's just, like I said, he's also likable as hell. So seeing him make it to his first All-Star team is a blast. But McKenzie, let's get to the damn Snubs. I know you can't wait to share yours with me. You have refused to tell me off the air who you're picking. I just hope we don't pick the same guy. So I'm going to defer to you first on this one. Who is it?
1: Yes, sir. There is one person that's on the All Star team that's decent who should be removed for this phenomenon, and that would be the great LaMelo Ball leading the Charlotte Hornets, who are currently 28 and 25, well above expectation. <laughs> the team expected to be- finish below 500. And as good as his rookie campaign was when he put up Magic Johnson, literally no hyperbole, Magic Johnson rookie year type numbers, 16 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, he's done the leap. He's done that sophomore leap that you would expect for a guy that's going to be a perennial all-star, even if they don't want to give him his flowers. Yet, points per games jumped up, efficiencies jumped up, He's made, he's gone from making one and a half threes a game to almost three threes a game. Assists have jumped up 25%. I just think it's almost a disrespect to his rookie of the year campaign, not to say, yes, just like when LeBron was a rookie of the year, if he makes that jump, he's an all-star the next year. When you have those milestones, I just think, especially if the team if the team was losing, then okay, everything's out the window. If the team is clearly, massively, beating expectations, and he's the number one reason why all of his numbers are up. He's got to be an all-star, and I'll tell you who doesn't deserve it. It's a team who's massively fallen short of expectations, the Milwaukee Bucks. Drew Holiday, of course, isn't on the all-star team, and he hasn't really played enough games for him to really have any complaints about it. But for me, Chris Middleton, who's missed some games himself, his player efficiency rating I love to talk about is three points less than LaMelo Ball. And the Milwaukee Bucks are fourth in the East, and the three teams ahead of them, no one really had any high expectations, the Sixers or the Heat or the Bulls coming into the year. So they haven't done anything to deserve three All-Stars. They've missed a lot of games. They've fallen short of expectations. Someone's got to go off the team to get the phenomenon that LaMelo Ball is on the team. For me, that's Chris Middleton, him out, ball in. What do you think?
0: I think that Middleton's the wrong guy to exclude from the All-Star team. I think that unfortunately, while he's another great story and he's another first-timer, I think that if you're going to pick LaMelo over anyone in the East, it's Darius Garland. Uh, First off, you know, you can't have six point guards on the All-Star team, and they've already got a point guard heavy lineup, Van Fleet, Garland, uh, James Harden, who, you know, plays point shooting guard, whatever you ask him to do. So to replace Middleton with Ball, all of a sudden, you're just going to have an obscene amount of point guards. But I think that, LaMelo Ball, his numbers can be better compared to Darius Garland, because they're asked to do similar things, and Garland actually has him slightly beat in assists per game, but I don't disagree with what you said in terms of, you know, Ball being deserving of a spot, right? Higher PER than Garland, uh, slightly fewer assists per game, but, you know, neck and neck points per game, I think Ball averages a tenth of a point per game more, way more rebounds per game, um, You know, and I think that goes with his efficiency. Like, Ball's just a little more active than Garland, if that makes sense. You know, he'll he'll get into the paint more. He'll get down and get physical a little more than Darius Garland. And so, I don't hate the decision. I also can live with how the Eastern Conference All-Star roster is constructed the way it is. Because my dispute is on the Western Conference All-Star roster. It's my man DeJounte Murray down in San Antonio being left off the team. You want to talk player efficiency, Murray's ahead of LaMelo Ball and Darius Garland. He is the fifth best point guard in the league in terms of player efficiency. All four guys in front of him, all-stars. The guy sixth right behind him, Chris Paul, all-star. DeJounte Murray's averaging nearly 20 points per game. He is averaging nearly nine rebounds per game and over nine assists per game. By the way, two steals per game, on top of that, and an assist to turnover ratio of almost four to one. So who would I leave off? Is it Chris Paul? No, it's actually not a guard. It's Draymond Green. Draymond Green is not deserving of being an all-star this year. And I know that I just made the argument with you on the Eastern Conference. Well, how many point guards are you going to have? Luka Doncic, he's the loophole To this one, because this is a guy who can be rostered as a point guard, who can also be rostered as a small forward or even a power forward, right? Luka Doncic is the ultimate versatile guy. So I would take Draymond Green, who's averaging, you know, a productive 7-7-7 across the board. Take him the hell off the all-star team. Eight points per game, or rather being shy of eight points per game in the NBA does not make you an all-star. I know he's an old school player, and I think I appreciate his old school style of basketball more than most. But in today's day and age, you are not an all-star. DeJounte Murray is actually averaging not only more points, but more rebounds and more assists per game than Draymond Green. And he's having a hell of a defensive season, albeit different positions. Green is, you know, the more physical bumper and bruiser and Murray's a point guard but he is also having an incredible defensive season. I think DeJounte Murray was way more deserving of a spot on the Western Conference All-Star team than Draymond Green.
1: I like that leaving Green off of all the players because so often we look at the guy with more assists than usual and less points than usual and say, well, you know, that's just the kind of guy that I would like to play with if I was playing because unselfishness and yada, yada, yada. The fact is... (laughs) The Phoenix Suns are clearly the best team in the league, 41-10, two and a half games above the Warriors, and they're represented by two reserve all-stars, Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the reserve team. The Golden State Warriors already had two starters in Andrew Wiggins and Steph Curry, so if we're already going to give the Warriors two starters, I don't think Draymond Green, especially after missing the last two and a half weeks, not scoring eight points per game, has done enough to get on the team, so... I think it's close. When I looked at the Western All-Stars, I really wanted to find a way to get Murray on the team or a way to get Shea Gildas Alexander on the team. Shout out to Smooth. He was the first to point this out that I saw. Probably worth, you know, four or five points to the line on a terrible team that's 10 to 15 points worse than an average team without him. And you see that the market moves when he's in and out. So Shea Gildas Alexander, I'd like to get on the team. DeJounte Murray, very deserving. I'm not going to say he's not deserving. But uh, I was fine with the team. We both talked about this, uh, you know, prior to the show. This is actually a rare time where the All-Star team is pretty much right. There's one or two quibbles, but there's really no, uh, you know, I mean, Darius Garland literally is averaging 0.1 points per game, less than LaMelo Ball. That's how close it is. So, you know, I'll I'll say ball is more important to that team. I think the Cavs is built around bigs and defense. The Hornets are built around speed and what LaMelo Ball brings, but. You know, it's small differences. These are all, you know, it's close.
0: Yeah, it is close. And I think that shows when your quarrel with the final rosters was in the Eastern Conference and mine was in the West. So, you know, in theory, you're perfectly fine with how the Western Conference all-star roster was constructed, and I'm okay with how the East was constructed. It tells you that there's not that one glaring omission that everyone's like, you got to be kidding me. I do think, though, Draymond Green, by far, is having the weakest season I was going to say resume, but I don't want anyone to misconstrue that and think about his past resume. This year, I think he has the weakest resume of any of the 24 All-Stars by far. And I think DeJounte Murray, like I said, you know, you bring up Green being the guy who, well, yeah, he's got less points, but look at the assists, look at the rebound. Murray has more rebounds, more assists, more everything than Draymond Green. And, you know, when you have a guy like Luka who can play the forward position, get another point guard in there, get Murray. Without DeJounte Murray, Similarly to your SGA point about how the Thunder are nothing without him. I mean, what are the Spurs without DeJounte Murray? I don't think they're anything without him. And lastly, to your SGA point, he is the sole reason, and it's very rare you could say that a single player is the sole reason a team either has success or failure in terms of betting. SGA is the sole reason that the Oklahoma City Thunder have the second best cover percentage in the NBA this season. 31 17 and 2 against the spread. Only Memphis is better. And that is because of the four to five point impact that he himself has on the line.
1: And a lot of people will take a stat like that and take a non-Vegas related uh acclaim, such as an all-star designation, and say, Well, let's not compare apples to oranges. You know, just because OKC is really good against the spread doesn't mean they've been that good. Well, it actually does. I mean, you can get lucky with half-point wins here and there, but more than any other metric, how you're doing against what the guys paid millions and what the market says with their billions of dollars expect you to do, those separating themselves from that baseline really have said something. So the fact, I think OKC's coach deserves a lot of credit, and I think OKC's players, especially the one that actually does it, SGA, does get credit for expecting to be really bad, like the worst team in history on paper with giddy as the number two guy end up being, you know, just like a bottom 10 team. That's actually a huge leap. That actually is saying something talking about in the NFL with some of these controversial stories. How much does beating expectations, the Vegas market, how much does it really matter? I'd say I'd counter with this. What's a better metric of how you're doing versus of how much improvement you're showing versus the team that you were coming into the season.
0: Well, my man, you opened the floodgates on this one. It's why Brian Flores had no legitimate reason to be fired because the Miami Dolphins beat the expectations every year with Flores except this season in which they came up a half game short.
1: Yeah, it was a push. It was close. It was like nine to nine and a half. Yep. So you could have got a push if you shopped with Brian Flores. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, and, and you're 100% right. That's the best way to gauge a team's success. By the way, while we're on the topic of football, the Jacksonville Jaguars just announced another gaffe in this coaching cycle. They've hired Doug Peterson to be the next coach over there. I, I don't know how you let Byron Leftwich slip right between your fingers.
1: Sounds like he wiggled away, which uh, is his is his prerogative. But I I, I bet he gets another shot not too, not too long from now. But Shad Khan is not a good look for Shad Khan. It seems like he can't really uh, put put his feet in front of the, one foot in front of the other.
0: Yeah, definitely not. I thought left, which I thought Jim Caldwell, both better options there than Peterson to try to turn that culture around. But Mackenzie, I want to get your thoughts on something pertaining to another disappointing franchise. Maybe not one as disappointing as the Jacksonville Jaguars, but by 2021, 2022 standards, the Brooklyn Nets have been very disappointing. And James Harden, following their 112-101 to 101 loss at Sacramento, told reporters this after the game. He said, quote, I think we've done too much talking. And then in a separate quote said, we just got a lot of different things internally, lineups. We haven't had no continuity yet. I mean, Mackenzie, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but to me, it sounds like James Harden is directly calling out Kyrie Irving, saying, hey, this may not all be your fault, but you are playing a big factor in why we can't fa- why we can't achieve any continuity and why we're struggling right now. What do you think about about uh, Harden's comments?
1: Well, if I'm Kyrie Irving who did not make the All-Star team and I don't know how many people will have to get injured before we see his splendid ball skills into the game but probably unlikely. If I'm Kyrie Irving, I say yes. Because of my choices, we have not we have lacked continuity this year. And birds go tweet. If you wanted to say this to me, you've had a long time to say this to me because Kyrie Irving, you know, had made his decision, and he mentioned it's not about vaccines; it's about sticking it to the man, or it's about mandates not being for him. Whatever it is, he's made that decision. And what's really the crux of this six and zero or zero and six losing streak? Lost seven out of the last nine is Kevin Durant may be the most valuable to the point spread, to the team success, to whatever player in the NBA by far, even Giannis. I mean, the Bucks have shown some semblance of at least togetherness without him. Without Kevin Durant, it just seems like a, almost like, like a, a scrimmage every game where you'll see some amazing things. Kyrie Harden will go on some runs, although not any runs at Sacramento where they – Harden and Durant only combined for 25 points in a whole game. So, yeah, it just, it's, um, I mean, Steve Nash has his work cut out for him. There's clearly sides taken in this team, and it's clearly showing up in the results. Again, they've lost their last six straight, only covering one of those contests.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's funny that you, you mentioned Steve Nash there, because I think right now, with the way that this team is floundering in the face of adversity... And with all the different egos and guys taking shots at each other in post-game press conferences, I think it shows that Steve Nash is nothing but a figurehead there, right? That there's no actual coaching that, in my opinion, and I don't think Steve Nash is a bad guy by any means. I don't think he's totally incompetent, but I don't think there's any leadership there. I think without Kevin Durant, there is no leadership. And that means Nash, that means Harden, that means Kyrie. Right now, things are ugly in Brooklyn, right? I mean, you know, you're seeing... Look at Utah when you had Gobert calling out Mitchell and Clarkson. This is 20 times worse because it's New York. And because this roster is as great as the Jazz roster is, this roster is so much better. And this just amplifies the problems that the Brooklyn Nets have so much more than the drama going on in Utah. You look at the Sacramento game, they were outscored in the second half by 19 points to the lowly Kings. What were the Kings riding? A seven-game losing streak into this contest? Outscored by 19 in the second half, 14 in the fourth quarter alone. I mean, James Harden had four points. McKenzie, I think, and some people might say this is a stretch, but I think a full game against the Sacramento Kings, you or I might be able to, even if it's sheer luck, get four points. We're talking about an NBA All-Star. A guy who's averaging a near triple-double per game. Four points, a minus 21 differential.
1: A, a 50-year-old a fifty-year-old Michael Jordan once said, eight points, eight points, that's two buckets a half. I could get eight <laughs> it, points. Exactly.
0: I mean, you know, look, for a bench player, a guy who's getting eight minutes, sure. For James Harden, four points against anyone is bad. Four points against the Sacramento Kings is flat-out embarrassing. Kyrie Irving in this one. I mean, an assist-to-turnover ratio of one assist to four turnovers. It's just the game, it wasn't a bad game, and I keep coming back to this word. It was an embarrassment. And the Nets can't afford those, let alone to the Sacramento Kings. It's not like Milwaukee ran them out the gym, beat them by 20. It was the Kings dominating them, outscoring them by 20 in the second half alone. Things are really bad there. I, I That can't be overstated because this is not... In overstatement, things are bad. They're down to the sixth seed in the East. Without Kevin Durant, the Brooklyn Nets have shown they are nothing.
1: I mean, they really have shown that they have no, uh, they have no edge. They have been able to win no games. So, what do you make of them going to? I mean, they have better been a road They've been a better road team than a home team by far this year. I'm not sure what that says about coaching, where they just have no discipline when it's when they're in the Barkley Center. But they've been a better road team than home team this year. They go to Utah Friday night. We're looking at the Jazz, who finally got off the snide, beating the Nuggets. The Jazz are five and a half point favorites, hosting the Nets. Presumably Harden's a go, Irving's a go, but no Durant. What do you make of this one?
0: I think Utah's got a big advantage. And as cold as they have been, I think that Utah has a big advantage in this one for a few reasons. First of all, the Nets, just talking straight up here, not against the spread, 17-9 is their road record. Since Kyrie Irving's back, they're 4 and 5 on the road. So, they've even taken a step back with Kyrie in the lineup for road games, and that goes right back to the continuity remark that James Harden made. Because it went from the same lineup every night, and then, you know, I can't explain why they're so much better on the road than at home, but it's the same guys every night. Now, Kyrie's getting plug and played in road games, and all of a sudden, they were once 13 and 4 straight up on the road. Now they're 17 and 9. So Kyrie has really shown to hurt this team so far this year. Now, in terms of them against the spread overall, dead last in the NBA, 19-31-1. They're five and a half point dogs in Utah. And the Utah Jazz, who just beat Denver the other night, no Jokic, but no Mitchell, no Gobert. The Jazz are getting Donovan Mitchell back for this game. He's been cleared to return. And when Utah has him, the 31-21 and 21 Jazz are 26-14 and 14 straight up. But against the spread, it's still not great, but it's much better than without them. 18-22 and 22 against the spread. Without them, they're just 3-8-1. and one. The Jazz are going to win this game. That's not a question in my mind. The question is, will they cover the 5.5? And, and truthfully, McKenzie, the way things are going for Brooklyn, 7-15 and 15 against the spread against Western Conference opponents. They've lost six straight. They've covered just one of those six. I don't think the Jazz just win. I think the Jazz cover too.
1: I tend to lean that way myself, although I'm not betting it because just because of Brooklyn's propensity to do better on the road, I do think their backs against the wall, particularly at Utah with those fans in their ear. I think they might show something, but the reason why I lean Utah is because one, they've just been significantly better. They're getting their best player back in Donovan Mitchell. And two is once you are on a six game losing streak, Getting that burden off your back and that win against the division rival in Denver—they're now four and zero. First time I think in in that mountain-to-mountain rivalry that one of the teams swept them in in a long time. So having that taken off your back, you get to play with a little more freedom. But you're still desperate because you're trying to improve your seating. get back to you were just a couple of weeks ago. Ten. I just feel like the the better teams, Utah, the points aren't going to be that much, especially as high variance as this game. I expect to be. Don't expect a close one, whichever way it goes. So tend to lean Utah in this one.
0: That makes two of us. We've got one other game to get to before our best bets, McKenzie. And it is a Saturday night East Coast, West Coast game that I actually might be in attendance for. I uh, I land in Los Angeles Saturday at 3.30 p.m. L.A. time and tipping off at 5.30 p.m. L.A. time. It's the L.A. Lakers hosting my New York Knicks. Mackenzie, do you have a projection for this game? Uh, the Lakers, of course, are playing right now against the Clippers. That game just tipped off, so they'll have another game on under their belt. By the time that game comes around, the Knicks just had a game against Memphis where they kept clawing back into it but couldn't stay in it for long. By the way, if you follow me on socials, my Twitter, at I tweeted out Memphis minus three and a half was a lock earlier that day. So I hope you saw that and cashed in on it.
1: Nice cash. Nice cash on... The Joe Sorallo. Catch him on Twitter. Me, I'm at Mac and Rivers. I have currently projection the LA Lakers are going to be two and a half point favorites. That presumes LeBron is not back. Of course, Anthony Davis has been back for several weeks now. Playing well, just had a 30 point game. So I have the Lakers as a two and a half point favorites about even teams with the New York Knicks visiting.
0: By the way, I should make this disclaimer. The only way I'm going to that game, even though I'm a Knicks fan, only way I'm going to the game is if LeBron plays. If he doesn't play, I'm, there's no way I'm spending the money to go to that game. Minus two and a half with no LeBron is interesting. Because the- so do you
1: think LeBron is going to play then? Because it sounds like you're preparing to uh, buy some, uh, not circuit tickets, but uh, the coinbase.org tickets or whatever.
0: Yeah, the the crypto. I'm buying my tickets in Bitcoin, guys, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I honestly, you know with injury reports, I mean, come on, how often do we get on this show? And it's like talking about a game, forget two days in advance, a day in advance is scary, uh, because the injury reports are so bad. All I can say is I hope he plays. I'm going to buy my ticket that day regardless. Um, but I'm only going to go if he plays. I I really hope to God he's back, uh, because I really want the opportunity to see the goat. I know you're going to want to kill me for that, uh, in person while we still have the opportunity well
1: well we can't project uh you know necessarily handicap two completely different scenarios because one of the greatest players of all time does have that impact on the game so I'll give you uh, my projection and what it says about where LeBron is right now so I have two and a half points currently that means the Lakers are an even team with the Knicks the Knicks you know right middle of the pack in the road uh net rating on the season 18th in the league so you know very average team. Without LeBron, Lakers, very average team. Even with Anthony Davis back, Russell Westbrook scored nine points in their win. You know, he does that more often than not these days. So yeah, average team, not unlike the New Orleans Pelicans back when Anthony Davis was one of the best players in the world, but you can't bring the ball up when you're a center, so you can struggle a lot against better teams. Average team. If LeBron's back, maybe I'm biased, maybe I'm light, maybe I'm you know, hanging on to the past myself. And even I'm wrong with where LeBron is right now. But I have him at three and a half points, meaning LeBron comes back. Expect this line to jump up from Lakers two and a half to Lakers six. Uh, You're an observer of the market. Where do you think uh, my bias is on that scale? Do you think it's going to be, let's say LeBron's back. Do you think Lakers by six or or less than that? Or where do you think it goes?
0: I think that's pretty damn accurate, man. I think if LeBron's back, considering the Knicks have the rest advantage and they're damn good with a rest advantage, 10 and five against the number when they have more days off than their opponent. I think that is a five and a half to six point number in favor of the Lakers. uh, If LeBron is back. So I think it's a really good projection. And I think it's also a really great projection for Vegas because that's, that's a tough one to handicap to me. If you had said Lakers minus four, I'm jumping on it. Right. But five and a half, six, as you have, um, that's making me hesitate a little bit because the Knicks are good with the extra rest.
1: Yeah. Especially with how, how defensive minded they are extra rest able to press full court, you know, 94 feet like Tibbs wants to do both. These teams play a lot of close games. That's why the Lakers don't have that good of an ATS number because they, as a big favorite often, you know, win by five and they're supposed to win by six. So even if they are, you know, Expected to win the game, Knicks have a good advantage. That's, it's not surprising to me; they're ten and five against the number when they have a rest advantage. It's a Tibbs type team, but let's project some winners, some games that we actually have a strong opinion on. Uh, we both won, so where should we go first? I mean, we who has a uh, who has bird's rights when we're off a two and one?
0: <laughs> you you can take this one, McKenzie.
1: All right. Well, earlier in the day, we talked about the All Star snubs, and I had one. It was Lamelo Ball of the Charlotte Hornets. Well, his team is going on Friday night to Cleveland, where you might have heard some young punk point guard thinks he's LaMelo Ball. Darius Garland just got an all-star nod. Well, you might say Darius Garland's going to protect his turf. He's actually, he has a little boo-boo. He's not going to be there. That means LaMelo Ball, angry as all hell, is going to go to Cleveland against a team that is missing not only their starting point guard on the season, Colin Sexton, not only their backup point guard on the season, Ricky Rubio, not only their one all-star player, Darius Garland, but haven't even secured that fourth point guard that they've been in the trade market for. So this is a team that lacks any kind of guard depth versus a team that has it in the Hornets in spades. That's the one thing they do have for droves, Rozier, Hayward ball. They're going to run circles around the Cleveland team. Right now on FanDuel, this is four and a half. Hornets hosting the Cavs. I think they blow them out. I expect a 15-point victory for an angry LaMelo Ball-led team. Also going to be looking at his props, his points, his points plus assists. I think he's going to show something tomorrow against a team that, you know, they're going to be kind of happy where they're at as much as ever. So the Hornets, minus four and a half, hosting the Cavs, best bet. I hope karma doesn't get you on this one. I
0: I like the bet a lot, especially with no Darius Garland. I think that it's a great bet. One might even call it a best bet. But I hope that fading Charlotte for your last best bet doesn't come back to bite you now when you're going to take them for this best bet. It's always a risky thing to do.
1: Right, because if, if I was right identifying that the Hornets were a bet against team, but sometimes you're right on both sides. I mean, we've been right on both sides of the same game. So that's, that's, what's, yeah. that's what's crazy nuanced about this business. You got to look for the small edges. Might not be one team to bet against or one team on. It might not be that simple.
0: It usually isn't that simple. But for my best bet, I'm not giving you a line, a spread, a total. I'm just giving you a winner. It's the Philadelphia 76ers money line in Dallas, ESPN's Friday night game of the week. Look, this is practically a pick'em. Right, The 76ers are getting a point. So at this point, why would you lay the 110 to win 100 in the event of essentially a push when you can just lay 105 to win 100 less and take the 76ers to win outright? This is Philadelphia's chance to show the nation what they've got. You just had a five-game winning streak. Things were looking great snapped by the Washington Wizards. Philly was favored by 10. They lost by three. This is your chance. Show the nation why you can compete with Milwaukee, with Chicago, with Miami for the Eastern Conference. Joel Embiid, show the nation why you are now the MVP favorite. Once 50 to one, now on pregame's consensus odds, plus 260. Show us why you're that MVP favorite. Go to Dallas. Beat Luka Doncic and the Mavericks. Doncic, who, you know, every year plans on being an MVP contender. He's not this year, but his name preseason is tossed around every single year. The Mavs have come back down to earth a little bit. They've lost two straight. They've lost four out of seven. This is the perfect time for Philadelphia to go on national television, show the country how legit they are, for Joel Embiid to show the country how legit he is. 76ers, money line, minus 105, my best bet.
1: Indeed, this is one of those moments. If I'm Joel Embiid, I have a big forty point night. I win with the dunk on and Doncic. My MVP case becomes, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta figure out a way not to give it to me at that point. You string three or four of these nights together, and that's an opportunity for them. And that means max motivation. That makes a lot of sense to me. The Sixers plus one, or I like it even better. Get them to win minus one hundred five.
0: There you go, man. And look, I'm playing catch up here. You know, I'm three games back in our standings behind you. You're ten and four. I'm 7-7, seven seven, so before I start worrying about catching you in the standings, I just got to get back to the green. So I got to pick my spots carefully here. A win in this one gets me back in the green. My man, let's make some money. Let's do it. Another 2-0 oh would feel awfully nice. It absolutely would. That does it for episode 15 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview with Joe Seralo and Mackenzie Rivers.